Uh, so good to be here with you guys. I love, I, I say this a lot, but I, I really do. I, I love gathering together in this place and seeing us gathered up here. And the reason I love it is because in the story of God that he's revealed to us, uh, the author of Hebrews said, do not neglect meeting together regularly as some are in the habit of doing, but come together to spur one another on or to stir one another up toward love and good deeds. And so when we gather here, what is exciting to me is that we are here to be inspired by the realities of who God is and what he's done for us and what he has invited us into, what we are the recipients of, what we get to participate in, and then we get to go out with that inspiration after celebrating who God is, and we get to go out and we get to engage in participating in the gospel. And so those are good works prepared in advance for us to do so that we might be participants in the gospel. This is why it thrills me so much to get here, to gather up, and to do this. Because it affects everything as we live the rest of our lives out in our clarity and understanding of the gospel. Some of you may or may not know this, uh, but my wife and I, prior to moving to the Central Florida area to uh, be a part of starting Mosaic Church 14 years ago, Uh, We were uh, in student ministries, and I was in a student ministries position uh, in a church in Virginia and then in a church in Monterey, California. And both of the churches that I had been part of prior to coming here fell into what we call the attractional church model, okay? And so what the, the church that is the attractional church did is it, it, it uh, uh, engaged in the gospel's story and realized that as you read the scriptures, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the redemptive story, does not actually bind us into a life of conformity to a set of behaviors so we can prove to God that we're good enough. It actually sets us free from having to live a life bound uh, to conform to a set of behaviors. And it frees us to realize that we are the recipients of God's great rescue plan. And the gospel is a, is a, a reality that sets us free And so when the church began to say, people need to know the gospel is to set you free, not to bind you, uh, that we need to tell them. And and the attractional church models were born where they were really like, look, we need to get as many people in the door as possible to tell them. And then what we need to tell them is the gospel is really good news. It'll set you free. You will have a better life. And to prove it to you, we will take principles out of scripture and we'll show you how they apply to your marriage, apply to your business, apply to your money, apply to your stuff and then as you apply them your life will get better right now now there is a lot of truth to all of that but the gospel doesn't stop there right so what tended to happen is for me as I uh, was a part of all of that there was such beauty in that model and still is thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people who would never have set foot in church, came to know Jesus and, and, and followed Jesus because God affected that part of our church's story, global church, into the ecosystem. But the frustration for me in that was that because the entire drive was for that initial experience of the freedom in the gospel, everything in the church started shaping around what we call the seeker, right? The person who is still trying to figure Jesus out, doesn't know if they believe or not. They certainly don't go to church, but if they're invited to something where you have a donut, a cup of coffee, you come on in, uh, you sit down, the program is awesome, you play a few cool songs, 
And then you preach a message with three points about your marriage that really are helpful or about your money. Then it's really good. And so what began to happen is uh, it began to become something we go, look, we want to make sure we do everything for that seeker person to feel super comfortable. So we got to keep everything at a base level. And for sure, for sure, we need to constantly tell them that the gospel is here for you to make your life better because we're competing against Disney right? Disney's a happy place, so we got to make this happier, right? I mean, and, and I'm being a little facetious, but you understand what happened. And so what began to happen is, as I began to dive into the scriptures and continue to study, here's what I discovered about the gospel. This redemptive story of God is that it does indeed utterly set us free. It does not bind us to a life of conforming to a set of, of regulations in a legalism of self-righteousness so that we prove to God that we are good enough. It does not do that. It sets us utterly free from that so that we are free indeed in Christ. But then, on the other end, the greatest beauty of the gospel is that it does bind us to a life where we are allowed to participate in the redemptive story by giving all of ourselves to the story of God to be part of redeeming this dead planet instead of simply being recipients and hiding from the rest of the planet, right? And so I started realizing, wow, the, the greatest joy of the gospel is not in being a recipient of soul rescue and future redeemed, though that is a great joy. The greatest joy of the gospel is that after our soul is rescued and we know our future is redeemed, we are invited by God to be participants in the story of God on this planet by laying ourselves down for the sake of the story and then we get to be part of something far bigger than we could have ever created in our own little lives. Man, that's good. That's what I want to do. And so we came to plant Mosaic Church and I realized if you're going to preach that gospel, that gospel doesn't go well with this particular cultural context, right? Because we are obsessed with comfort and convenience and we have been told since the day we were born, happiness is your right to pursue. And if you are not happy, then get out of whatever you're in and find something happy, right? Because that's what we do, the pursuit of happiness. And so to come into a cultural context like that and bring a gospel that sets you free and leaves you there and does not demand anything of you, that's an easy sell. But to bring the gospel in its fullness and say, it, it, it actually invites you into a lot more. You, you, you get to lose everything for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's awesome. That doesn't go so well. So we knew as we left uh, the, 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 the attractional church model, the seeker church model, and we planted Mosaic Church, we said what we want to do here is we want to, we want to develop a small band of people that truly believe the wholeness of the gospel, including its invitation to participate in losing everything for the sake of the kingdom of God, and that we actually begin to live our entire lives informed by this reality of participating in the gospel. We want a church like that, and we knew coming in that was going to be a super small church, right? I, I remember saying a lot, just give me 10 people that love only God and hate only sin and will change the world. Moody said that, and I'm like, that, that's what I want. There are 10 people, and we just we dig in, and then we go change the world. So from the time we planted Mosaic Church, we began that way. And you know, the fruit of that journey was awesome to watch. As teeny tiny as we were, people started actually changing the world actually engaging, actually daring to step out of comfort into discomfort for the sake of the broken places of this planet, for the sake of being redemptive in the story. 
And as we continue to do that, I remember thinking uh, in the early parts of Mosaic Church, we have to do everything we can to keep as many uh, people away so that we don't kill this beauty of a a few of us just really getting into it. Because if we we bring a lot of people and we try to make this awesome, we're going to lose that. But here's what kept on happening. The more we participated in the gospel and its story, the more we lived in the freedom of the gospel and its story, soul rescue, future redeemed, and purpose restored, the more people began to show up and say, can, can, can I jump in? And we go, no, you, you don't understand. Here you, you die and lose everything for the sake of the gospel. You really probably don't want to be here. And they go, no, 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 really, this, this is exciting. And so more and more people started coming. And more and more people started coming. We would have meetings about being less attractional so that we could do that. When we do coffee and donuts, when we decided to do stuff like that, we didn't do it because we're like, oh, coffee and donuts bring people. That's awesome. We actually made those decisions because as we dug into the gospel and we said, the gospel is inviting, safe and attractional and beautiful. And so there are parts that when a human being walks in the door, have you ever stood like this without anything in front of you uh, with a a crowd of people you don't know? I mean, you feel completely uh, vulnerable, naked, essentially, right? I mean, you're wearing clothes, but you're like, ah! But it's amazing. You give someone a cup of coffee and suddenly they're safe. Isn't that beautiful? (laughs) I got this between you and me. Add a plate with a donut and I'm good, right? And then when you experience that in the lobby, that safety net where you're able to kind of go, I can talk to you. I don't have to feel like we're going to go nuts here. And then you, you walk to the doors of the sanctuary and you go, oh, there's a carpet in there. I'm gonna f-. And then, no, 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 you can bring it in. Because when you sit here, you're going to have Renault staring right at you. You may as well keep that cup of coffee and donut because it's going to be awkward. We do that because we want people to understand the beauty of the way that Jesus deals with us uh, on our terms in the safety of where we're at. So we started making decisions like that, and here's what we found. The gospel is attractional even when it's full and missional. And so more and more people started coming. And the fruit of that has been amazing to watch, really I never wanted a big church. I came from big churches, mega churches, attractional churches, and we were convinced we would have a small one. And then it got bigger and bigger, and it turned into hundreds and turned into thousands, and here we are. And and I'll tell you, as much as there's been a bit of a, oh my goodness, what's going on? It is a beautiful thing to watch. Because people are not coming here because we are working at momentum and growth and trying to be more attractional and trying to keep the gospel as easy as possible for you so that you don't dare think that it's going to take your entire life and demand it from you. No, no, we're doing exactly the opposite. It will demand everything from you. And you, you all are going, yes! And it's awesome. And so suddenly, suddenly you wake up one day and over 150 children who were once orphaned are in forever families in a single church, just like that. Or widows that were not cared for are being cared for in our midst. Or foster care systems are asking us to potentially lead the way to take over the entire thing because what we do in those areas are so redemptively felt they don't know what to do with us. We start stepping into global contexts and one partner turns into three, seven, nine, twelve, and, and suddenly we're sending teams all over the world to interact on the ground in ways beneficial to the missionaries. I mean, the fruit of actually uh, preaching the gospel, the whole gospel, and demanding that, and a, a bunch of thousands of people saying, I'm in! The fruit of that is extraordinary to watch. 
This is good news. This is exciting. Can you imagine instead of having 10 people that love only God and hate only sin, can you imagine if you had 100 or 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 or 5,000 people like that? See, I, I, I always thought small church was better because then you could have the real people. But it never dawned on me that we might actually be able to have those same people but in mass. And that's what seems to be happening here. That's what seems to be occurring here, is that God is bringing us all into a story that we are going to participate in and actually change the world. That's exciting to me. But with that same reality comes some interesting challenges. It really does. You see, because when something begins to grow, like a church, and there's more of you, you have this thing called facilities and parking and rooms, and they don't grow. It's the weirdest deal. Like, you would think that as a hundred more of you showed up, that this would, like, oh, good. But it doesn't work that way in the world. I prayed, I asked. It still didn't work, right? This chapter one, we just had this last weekend, over a hundred new people there at chapter one, wanting to engage and participating in the story. And so we're looking at this and we're going, oh my goodness, what do we do? And then those challenges began to emerge. Here's, here's a challenge that you'll be quite familiar with if the 902 or the 1117 is your common space, okay? Take a look at this picture and tell me if you're not familiar with that, right? Oh yeah, toddler town shut down, kindergarten shut down, children shut down. It, that was a year ago, right? And that was right after the service began. This now happens 13 minutes before service begins, Right? So suddenly now, if you show up here and you show up five minutes ahead of time, you're panicking if you have kids because you probably aren't checking them in because it's full. That's because the rooms have a certain amount of space and we're only allowed to put so many kids in each of those rooms. And so children's ministry is overrun and crazy and we have hundreds of kids every weekend moving through this so we can't check everybody in. That is a frustrating experience. When you come to park, if you come on time or three minutes early, you're expecting to roll in five minutes early, park your car, walk into church, grab a cup of coffee because it's essentially waiting for you. Walk in and sit down right as the countdown ends, except it takes you the entire 10 minutes just to park. And then you're like, ah, oh. then you're late because you're walking in and you got your kids and you're like, ah, oh. and the coffee bar's shutting down because there's a line out the door. You're like, ah, oh. and then you start panicking and then it start, you start feeling like, oh, this is not a happy experience. And you call this place home. What about the people that don't? What about the people that that is their first time they're walking into this place? Because they're a little nervous, so they made sure they didn't come 14 minutes early. You know when you're new. You don't show up 20 minutes early to a place so you can stand awkwardly in a lobby and wait for someone to come talk to you. No, you walk in right at the minute it starts, and then you smile at someone, and you hope you see someone you recognize from Target, right? I mean, and then you come in, and you sit down, and you get, and you get through it, and you, and you determine whether it's okay. So those frustrations exist. Parking is a hassle. Coming in is a hassle. Standing in line to check your kids in is a hassle. And then for the families that don't get to check their toddlers in, you got one or two options. Go home with a toddler, podcast it online, or come in here with the toddler, right? So you come in here with the toddler. Now there's, a, there's some of you guys that you're past the toddler years or you didn't have toddlers. You came in to have a quiet cup of coffee and enjoy the power of the worship here. And what you have next to you is a four-year-old bouncing on a chair and going, do we have to stay? And you're thinking to yourself, can't someone do something about this? My experience is wrecked. 
because you had an expectation too, and your expectation is undone. See, that's the funny thing about us human beings, right? We have expectations for things, and when our expectations are met, then we are neither frustrated nor are we surprised and delighted. When our expectation is exceeded, we are surprised and delighted, and when our expectation is unmet, we are frustrated and irritated, disappointed. And so when something grows like this space does and facilities are what we have, the natural space for frustration and disappointment and irritation is born. And when that space is born, in that space, the enemy comes. And he goes, oh, this is going to be a cakewalk. This is going to be a cakewalk. I've got human beings stuffed into a small building with parking problems, children's check-in problems, and when they're trying to worship, ushers are telling them to move in 13 minutes into the service time, and they're like, my person, and move in, and then it's like, sit next to the weird person next to you. Because we need every seat. I mean, it's just, I'm not coming back. Or I'm gonna be here and I'm gonna feel that frustration. I'm gonna smile because I'm a Christian. Bless you, but inside, I'm gonna kill you, right? Just saying, I know how it rolls. I feel the same things you guys do. I'm also human. So how do we do this? Because the reality is, as you know, uh, on the update on the building stuff, we are moving aggressively forward. But uh, with building stuff, there's always delays. So sometime between mid-spring uh, and Easter, we are hoping to get into some new facilities where some of this will diminish. What do we do in the meantime? Well, we've got a couple options, right? We can just ignore it. We could do that. That's totally fine. We just go, you know what? Let's just, let's just walk on through it. Just ignore it. Pretend it's not here. Some of you will be super irritated some days and some days not. You might start staying home. You might not. I don't know. If you do, that might create a little more space, but we really don't want you home. We want you here because community happens here. And so, so we just ignore it. We just hope for the best and we get through it. That's a dangerous space to live. In uh, the book of First Peter chapter 5, Paul, I'm sorry, Peter is writing to the elders of the church. That's the pastoral leadership of the church. Those tasked with shepherding the church. And he says to them in chapter 5, to the elders as I am a fellow elder, make sure you're checking your own hearts. And then he says, be vigilant and watchful for your enemy the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We've always used that verse in self-context. You need to be watchful, which it does apply to an extent. But its real intent was to the leaders of the church to say, watch for your people. Watch over your people because they were given to you to co-shepherd with Christ. And so where you see that the enemy might devour, don't ignore that space. And so as we look at the next few months in a little crowded space like this with lots of opportunity for unmet expectations, therefore frustration, disappointment, and irritation, we also see the enemy's playground. And so we want to step into that ahead of time and go, we're not going to ignore it. The, the second option is we don't ignore it, we just get irritated by it. And then we all go, well, it was an irritating season. We were all irritated with each other and we kind of had some bad moments talking to each other, but now we're in the new building, so let's just forgive and forget and move on. We could do that, it works, but it doesn't make the gospel beautiful, that's for sure. It just shows everyone that we're just like everyone. That what makes us okay are the circumstances around us, our environment. But that's not what makes us okay. What makes us okay has nothing to do with our environment and everything to do with who lives in us. So that's certainly not an option. The third option is that we embrace this season. 
We embrace it not as a challenge that we need to get through, but as an opportunity to be invited into something we could never have otherwise been invited into. See, oftentimes we forget that the spaces that are most challenging in our lives are not just things we're supposed to bear through, ignore, or just try to get irritatedly to the other side. They are opportunities in which we can discover and display the gospel like never before. We are in a space, folks, that we may or may not ever be in again. And if we happen to be in it again, we'll do this again. But if we're not, this is our chance to say, how does a church that understands the beauty of the gospel do life together in small spaces when you can't park, you can't check your kids in, you got a toddler next to you, the donuts are practically gone, especially the ones you like because everybody else likes them, the coffee bar line is too long and you're late for church and if you're not, you're gonna feel late because everyone's gonna walk in front of you. And by the way, you're gonna sit in a chair where if you have knees, they're going to be destroyed, right? I mean, li- literally, could you, could you make the aisles any smaller? No. How do we do this? How do we do this? You see, the beauty is that God knew exactly the lives we would live on this planet, and he knew exactly where the enemy would engage in those lives and what he would do. And so he writes through his people many a time about exactly the reality of how we do life together. Because, remember, Jesus was the one that said, If you want the world to know the reality of the gospel and the beauty of the Spirit of God in you, it is going to be, it's not going to be about what you bring to the table on an intellectual level, though that does matter a great deal. Please don't mishear me. Uh, Our faith is not blind, but it is going to matter that they see in you a love for one another that is distinctly other than the love normal people have for normal people. You with me? That's why he says, Any friend is willing to die for a friend. It's dying for your enemy that makes it different. You see what I'm saying? So he's saying it it, it can't just be love for each other. It's got to be a love that looks very different. When you're frustrated with a person, you would usually deal this way, but now you deal this way. So listen to this. In the book of Ephesians, uh, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and he's writing about the mystery of the gospel and what an extraordinary privilege it is that we are the recipients of the clarification of that mystery. In other words, the gospel's been made clear to us, uh, though for, for generations people longed to have the gospel made clear to them, but Jesus hadn't arrived yet, so it, it wasn't. Right? And so he's in Ephesians chapter 3. If you'd like to turn there, you can. Ephesians chapter 3, Paul begins with the mystery of the gospel. And then in verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 3, he writes these words Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. Because of God's grace, I get to carry this gospel to you. Look at this. Which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. I love the language Paul is using here. I mean, he, you, can, you can sense the excitement. He's using words like unsearchable riches, right? We could not find them, but we did because God is that good. Look at this, look at this. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages 
in God who created all things. All these ages that have passed, we now finally understand what every reality and part of the story of God has been to bring us to this moment where the gospel would be revealed. And look at this. Why is all this happening? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's saying, the mystery of the gospel I got to bring to you so that you, church, could make it known to the world the manifold wisdom of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ, so that the world would know love and there would know freedom and there would know purpose again. We get to do this. This is amazing. And then he writes these words. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Wow! That's what Paul was praying for the church. That's what we get to pray for each other. That we would know the wonder of Jesus' love to such an extent that we would have the fullness of God in us. And then he says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask for or imagine, to him be glory. And then, and then, right after that, you are the recipients of the mystery of the gospel to make it known to the world. So I pray that the wonder of the gospel would be so full in you that it overflows out of you because he who can do more than we can imagine is at work. And then he writes these words, the very next line, chapter four, verse one. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the band, in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Isn't that extraordinary? That Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, would think that right after he said, I got to reveal the gospel to you and the Gentiles so that you would know it, so that you would be the church that makes it known to the world. So I'm gonna pray for the gospel to be so full in you, for Jesus to be so full in you that you are overflowing with his love, that your understanding and clarity of his love is so full that you can't bear it so that you might live in a manner worthy of the gospel. And here's what that looks like, ready? It starts here. Bear with one another. Bear with one another. Don't you love that? See, I would have thought that here Paul would write, so go, right? Wouldn't you think that? 
Because the entire context is, I'm preparing you to carry the beauty of the gospel into the world to those who do not know. And the way he says we do that is, okay, bear with one another, be gentle toward one another, be patient with one another, uh, be, be forbearing with one another. It's, it's incredible. Our greatest power in making the gospel known is right here with one another. Then we carry it out into the world. How we do life together in big spaces or in small ones determines how well we make the manifold wisdom of God, the unsearchable riches of Christ known. Do you see why this is such an opportunity? Do you see why we can either ignore or be irritated by the realities in which we live, or we can embrace them as one of the perhaps greatest opportunities we have yet had as a church to make the beauty of the gospel known right here in our midst? That we could stand in a kid's line and see a family walk in with a blue shirt connecting with them and realize they're fairly new, and as they step in line, right when we get forward and we see things are shutting down, we can actually step out of line and say, why don't you take this spot? Some of you have already done that, I know. Carrie tells me things. Some of you have already not checked your kids in so that people that are here early and uh, new can. Thank you. This is how we do life. This is how we do life. That, that I would park far instead of close. That I would come earlier so I can be helpful. That I would, that I would step in here and move in immediately so that I don't have to distract anyone. These are the things we get to start doing, right? Because we are called, in Philippians chapter two, Paul writes there and he says, I, I, I want you to make my joy complete. If you have any encouragement in Christ, any fullness of the spirit, any, any understanding of the gospel, make my joy complete by being of one mind, having the same love and purpose. Have your attitude be the same of that as Christ Jesus's was, right? that you don't look only to your own needs, but also to the needs of others, because that's what Christ did for us. This is what we get to do. So practically speaking, as we engage in the next few months, practically speaking, how do we begin to step in as a church and instead of allowing the enemy space to undo us while we're in tight spaces, and inconvenient scenarios, and irritating situations, because let's be honest, those don't go away, right? Are you still going to be frustrated when you get here and the kids' ministry's closed? I hope so, because that's a frustrating experience. If you're not frustrated, you're not normal. (laughs) But in your frustration, what you do next can be gospel beauty or just ordinary. And this is where we get to live. So, Practically, here's what we get to do. Just keep these things in mind, okay? We get to be gracious. Oh, gracious. Do you guys happen to know which letter we've been traveling through for the last like nine months? Second Corinthians. I didn't pick that, folks, for this particular season. I don't get to do that anymore. God started me 10 years ago in Genesis chapter one. This is where we landed right now. I didn't know we would be here. I didn't know we would need grace at massive levels, but 10 years ago, apparently he did. And so here we are in a book that essentially lays out for us 
that our beauty in making the gospel known is to be gracious beyond gracious because he has been gracious to us. His grace to us, his grace through us, our grace to others in response to his grace to us. So be gracious, be gracious. Also be content, be content. Do you know that contentment is something you can choose? What? No, you really can. We think contentment is the result of all expectations being met in our lives. The scriptures would argue with that. The scriptures would say, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances, whether rich or poor, well-fed or hungry, in prison or free, those are irrelevancies to my contentment now. My contentment is in this, that whatever circumstance I may face, I can face it in a manner worthy of the gospel because Christ strengthens me. Our contentment is a direct correlation to who lives with us and in us. Be gracious and be content. Measure it in yourself. When you feel discontent, why must it? Oh, hold on. I don't have to do that. That's right. I don't have to do that. That's amazing. I can be content in this moment and go and park in Oakland somewhere. (laughs) We want you guys to be excited. Sorry if at times we don't seem so excited about growth. I'm still getting over that a bit because growth scares me a bit. It tends to undo more things than it helps because it undoes health and it, it, it drives a sense of wanting to go momentum and growth. But I promise you this, we are vigilant in that and we are fighting for health at the cost of growth any day of the week. And so I am excited about what God is doing here. I really am. I'm excited that thousands of people want to be part of what we are discovering together. I'm excited that you do. And we want you here and we want you in the story and we want you to be the recipients of the gospel and the participants in it so we can change the world, actually change the world. Let's get excited. In the midst of the challenges that irritate, let us remind ourselves of why they're there, right? The reason we have challenges is because people are coming to experience the gospel in its fullness. Did you know that out of the 400,000 churches in America, 380,000 of them are declining or plateaued? Most churches in America are struggling to figure out what to do because people are leaving. And we're irritated because too many are coming. Let's not be irritated. Let's be excited about that. That's exciting. That's exciting. Not because growth is exciting in of itself, but because when the gospel is engaging in the hearts of people so that they would live out a gospel-centric life, that's exciting. And that should be. And then finally, be helpful. Be helpful. When things get tight like this and this much starts happening, everyone that calls this place home ought to be engaged in being helpful. Whether that is helpful while you're here just by doing different things and being gracious and excited and content or whether that's actually engaging practically in stepping in and serving in some ways. Be helpful. And if we are gracious and we are content and we are excited and we are helpful, then when this story is over and we move into the new facilities and we are no longer in this space where we are irritable and frustrated and crazy, then we will be able to look back and say, look, this is how you do it as a church. This is what Christ does in us. What we want is the gospel to be made beautiful here. 
and we have an opportunity to do just that. So may we do it well. I'm not preaching this message because we've started noticing everybody's irritable and everybody's frustrated. I know that's how they usually do it in churches. They wait until it gets to be a problem and then they go, you all haven't been behaving. I'm gonna preach a message out of Ephesians, make it sound good, but really I'm reprimanding you. That's not what I'm doing at all. We are following a course that we've been told as leaders, be vigilant and watchful. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion to devour someone. I do not want any of us to be devoured. So before we get devoured, we may as well talk about it, right? So it's coming, let us defy the enemy and show ourselves as full of Christ, gracious and humble, excited and content and helpful. And we will show the enemy what people do when they are full of Jesus. Let's pray. God, thank you for this church, these people that have engaged in this story, a local expression of your global story that is unfolding before us. May we be vigilant and watchful and may we engage deeply in the journey you've set before us to demonstrate to all, to ourselves, to one another, and to the world what life looks like when we are utterly changed, transformed, and convinced by the beauty of the mystery of your redemptive story, the gospel. Make us full of you, God, so that we might be for others great ambassadors of Christ. Help us here in this place, not just to tolerate this season, but to embrace it so that we might live in it well and make you beautiful in the story. We love you, Jesus. Amen.